I want you to make sure that you get the main point of the lesson. So I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to repeat it back to me. The flock of God is not a denomination. The church that Christ established is not a denomination. Brothers and sisters, if we lose the uniqueness, the distinctiveness of Christ's church, we've lost everything. If we lose what Scripture describes as the church that Christ established, and we begin to impose our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own opinions and our own personal beliefs upon what we think the church is or what it should do, we have lost the church that Christ established. And we have established what's known as a denomination. We are talking today about undenominational Christianity. Because 2,000 years ago, in a region of Caesarea Philippi, in Matthew chapter 16, beginning verse 18, in answer to the question that Jesus asked about who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am, and who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember the great confession of Jesus, or the great uh, proclamation of Jesus, and saying, upon this rock, that is the rock of truth that Jesus confessed, I will build my church. And we ask the question, what church did Jesus build? Did he build the Methodist church? Did he build the Catholic church? Did he build the Presbyterian church? Did he build the Lutheran church? Did he build the Baptist church? Did he build the Greek Orthodox church? Did he build the, uh, the Episcopalian or Anglican or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Pentecostal or Adventist? or a member of the Church of the Nazarene, or Bible Church, or Cowboy Cathedral, or the Great Roundup Cowboy Church, or the Rope of Hope Cowboy Church, or the Cranberry Christian Fellowship, or the Church of the Second Chance, or the Fully, Hope, uh, Fully Alive Community Church, or the Fresh Breeze Church, or the Church of Praise, or the Walk on Water Faith Church, or the Great Adventure Harvest Church, the Sound Doctrine Missionary Temple of Praise, the Agape Cyber Church of Jesus Christ, the Greater Evangelistic Cathedral Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ of the Apostolic Faith Incorporated. Brothers and sisters, I say these things not to give us cause to laugh at some of these things, but to consider, are any one of these, any one of them, uh, a part of the, Christ, uh, the building or the, Christ, the church that Christ established? Are they a part of what Jesus had in mind whenever it was that he established the church to begin with and when he promised it way back in Matthew chapter 16? Is that what Christ wants? Is that what God wants? Is for all the religious division that we see today in our world and amongst uh, the people that, uh, that claim to worship God in spirit and in truth, just as Steve prayed at the very beginning, are any, some, or all of these churches the ones that we read about in the Bible? Should this be anything that we're concerned about? And the answer is yes, I believe. If I understand anything about Scripture, because if I understand Scripture, I'm going to understand that Christ established, Christ intended and established a specific church. And as we look at this together today, I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, our salvation is tied to an understanding of what we believe and what we understand about the church that Jesus established. Is it God's will that there should be religious division in our world? Let me give you, in no uncertain terms, what God is pleased with. God is pleased with undenominational Christianity. That is a Christianity that's practiced without any kind of man's wills or ideas or feelings or opinions or personal thoughts about what the church ought to do and what the church ought to be. We're going to look at three simple points this morning. 
Three simple points to illustrate this fact that Christ intended a specific church and we understand something about the undenominational nature of the Christianity that we're striving to practice here in this place. As we look at these today, I want you to get your Bible out and I want you to look at them and put, be able to put your finger upon the, the verses as we look at them this morning with us. All right, point number one. I want you to know that the Bible describes one church. The Bible describes one church. If I go back to the original language, which is that Koine Greek, and I see this word every time it occurs in the New Testament that is church, I'm going to see this Greek word ekklesia. It's a word that simply means called out. Back when I was in school, uh, elementary school and on through junior high and even sometimes in high school, and you may have had a similar experience, it was that, uh, that uh, whenever the PE teacher said, all right, we're going to play kickball, and here's what we need to do. We need to select teams. All right, Johnny and Trent, you, you, you guys are both the captains. You guys are both the team captains. And as Johnny and Trent would take turns, they would call out somebody out of the pool of everybody that's there to have come and be on their team. So Johnny would choose so-and-so, and then Trent would have a turn to choose, and then Johnny would have a choose to uh, turn to choose again. And usually when I was called, which was close to the end, if not last, you know, that's no reflective on me, but there you understand. Uh, you have, you have a, a team that belongs to Johnny and a team that begin, belongs to Trent. That is this word, ecclesia, to be called out to be on a particular team. Here's the beauty of the gospel message, is that it's not just a certain number or a certain group of people that are called. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 said, we are called by the gospel. Here's the invitation to all men is that we have the opportunity and the chance to be on God's team. Through the blood of Jesus, we can all be a part of the church that Christ established. We can all be a part of the ecclesia, the called out. Because we're all called, but it's a matter of me choosing to respond to that call. And so it is when Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, first time that the word church is used in the entire Bible, Matthew 16 and verse 18, it's still in the future. Jesus says, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my ecclesia, my church. You know, the next time that word is used is not until Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Acts chapter 2, the hub of the Bible where the church comes into existence, and it says the Lord added daily to the ecclesia to the church to those who are being saved called out by the gospel and added to God's team you know the Bible tells us that that it is that we have an opportunity to be on God's team the Bible tells us that Christ is the head of his church Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 the Bible tells us that Ephesians 5 verse 23 that the Bible says that the church is his bride you know, how many brides do we generally acknowledge in a marriage relationship? Just one. If Christ has just one bride, then we understand that he has only one church. He is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The problem is, brothers and sisters, is that the church that the world describes and the church that the Bible describes are vastly different. They are vastly different. For example... You go out and you say, who is a part of Christ's church? 
And what people want to do is talk about the church universal in these terms. And they say, well, you understand that, uh, that uh, you know, you have this denomination over here. Here's the Presbyterian or here's the Methodist or here's the Cowboy Church or whatever it is that, that you want to fill in the blanks. And, and we're all a part of the church universal. And Christ still only has one church. But that's not the way that the Bible uses that term. That's not the way the Bible describes. We don't read about Paul being a Methodist or a, a Peter being an Episcopalian or anything else like that. We read about them being a part of just the way, the church. And so it is, you want to look at it more in a biblical context, the way that the Bible describes the church universal is here are believers who acknowledge the authority and the headship of Christ, and here are believers that are only submitting to the will of God in, in, in Jerusalem and Ephesus, and Antioch, and Rosenberg. That's the church universal as the Bible describes. We have no authority for making divisions or subsets underneath that. If I can use this simple illustration, please, uh, if there's a hole in it, please let me know, but I've been using this for years and it seems to make sense. People want to say, here's the way we should describe the church universal. You know, a lot of denominations teach a lot of different things, certainly about salvation, about how we ought to worship and how we ought to evangelize and how we ought to uh, worship and practice. So much so, it's almost like that we could say, all right, we're going to put together all these groups where somebody says one plus one equals three, and another one plus one equals four, and one plus one equals uh, 2,000, and one plus one equals one, and one plus one equals negative one. And all of these things are okay because we all believe in numbers. It's okay that we get to the wrong answers or the different answers because it's all right. We're all honoring numbers by using them. Brothers and sisters, again, if we're looking at the Bible the way, the, uh, the, the way that God describes, it is that we're looking at the authority of Jesus and his revelation and trying to come to that which honors and pleases him every single time. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, John 8, verse 32. We can come to the right answer when it comes to how the early church ought to look and how the church today can, should look when we're in 2019. Understand this, number two. To divide the one church is wrong. There's a lot of people that want to take issue with the word wrong because today in our postmodern society, nobody likes to hear that you're telling somebody here's right and here's wrong. But here's the understanding, if we understand the words of Jesus, is that he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. You know what that means? That the people that don't go to Jesus are the ones who are not on their way to the Father. John 14, verse 6. To divide the one church is wrong. Note this. Jesus is anti-denominational. You see, we use the term sometimes in our society about non-denominational. You see a church that's non-denominational. You know what they want to try and do is they want to try and do is then make this universal church like what we described just a moment ago, where it is we lay down all of our doctrine and we just want to preach and worship Jesus. Well, we can't lay down doctrine when we realize that Jesus is the word, John 1 verse 1. That's not non-denominational. It's Jesus is anti-denominational. From the scripture reading James read for us just a moment ago from John chapter 17, verse 20 and 22. Look at the words. Jesus says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may, what's the word? Be one. 
as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me that I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Three times in two verses, Jesus says, my prayer for these, for these apostles, and not only for the apostles, but all that will believe in me through their word, I want you to understand that they, I want them more than anything else to be one. How is it we can be one? More on that in just a moment. Jesus is anti-denominational. Note also that as the apostles received the faithful word of Jesus, the apostles were also anti-denominational. They didn't want men to create subsets based upon men. And so you find passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, where Paul gets a report from Chloe's household and saying, listen, it's Chloe's report that there are divisions among you, Corinthian church. And it's divisions based upon, it seems like, who baptized them. Some people are saying, well, we're following Paul. And other people saying, well, we're following Apollos. And some saying, we're following Cephas. Others saying, we're following Christ. And now they're making little subsets based upon men. That's a denomination. And Paul says, that's not the way it ought to be. Paul wasn't crucified with, uh, for you. You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. You understand that Jesus Christ and his authority alone are the only uh, 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 authority or standard that we can hold to. But it's the same story today. You know, people that say, I'm a part of the denomination that Martin Luther established. I'm a part of the denomination that John Calvin uh, had a big part in, in, in founding. I'm a part of John Smith's uh, denomination. Paul says Christ is not divided. Christ is anti-denominational. His apostles are anti-denominational. If we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, you find in that passage those seven ones, which we'll look at here in just a moment. And we see that, that uh, there is only one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's the stress of one, one, one. It echoes Jesus' prayer in John 17, doesn't it? There is only one church. What happened in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14? You remember Peter there when he was uh, with the Jewish brethren, or uh, he was there with the Gentile brethren, rather, and he was fellowshipping with them, and he was having a good time with them, and then some Jewish brethren came over, and they began to be in that church, and what did Peter do? Peter began to leave the Gentiles and just go and associate with the Jews. What's he doing? He's creating a division where there is no division. He's creating a subset where there is no subset. Paul had to rebuke him to the face. And brothers and sisters, as we go and we understand to divide the one church is wrong, it means that we need to strive for unity, keeping the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4. Two illustrations of this. The word denomination just simply means subset or division. Where do we commonly use this term? Or where might we commonly use this term? I don't know about you, but I really hated math when I was in school. It was never a forte of mine. Uh, music was a forte, so to speak. Um, when you look at denominations, we look at a fraction, and we say fractions. Here's one half. And I look at the bottom number, and what do we call that? We call that the denominator. Here's something that makes this fraction unique. Here's what, what uh, creates this fraction as a, as a division or a subset of the whole. And if it is that I'm going to take two different fractions and add them together, what do I have to have? You have to have a common denominator. 
Brothers and sisters, for there to be unity amongst all the religious division and all the religious groups of today, what must be the common denominator that we have to use? It must absolutely be what's found in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That means when we have a question about religious practice or religious, uh, um, um, religious uh, worship or something like that, who do we need to go to? We need to go to the authority. When we have a question about uh, how it is that we're supposed to relate or how the church is to be structured or anything else, where do we need to go to? Well, I think we ought to do this and this and this and that. I can't do that because I'm creating a subset, a denomination. I have to go back to Scripture and I have to point out what Scripture says about it. The authority of Christ and his word must be our common denominator. One more illustration. I go down to cash a check and I go down to the local bank and I give them the endorsed check and I slide it across the counter. And the lady comes to me and she says, all right, sir, what denominations would you like? And I say, OK, I want my friends, Mr. Uh, Franklin, and Mr. Grant. And she turns around and she says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you a Mr. Hamilton and a Mr. Lincoln or excuse me, Mr. Jackson, and Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> Hamilton, something different. So instead of a $100 bill and a $50 bill, she gives me what? A 10 and a 5. And I say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I wanted a 100 and a 50. Those were the denominations I wanted. She says, sir, don't you know that one denomination is as good as another? We've got a problem, don't we? I understand that with regard to the bank. Why do we not understand that when it comes to religion? Brothers and sisters, we've got to understand there is a difference in the denominations of money. There is a difference in the denominations of money and religion and churches because what we're talking about is a subset, a different group based upon what man has imposed upon it. Have you been following the news recently? And I only bring this up because it's been in the news in the last week or two. And that is the United Methodists. Have you noticed what they've been going through? If not, go home and Google it and take a look at it. You know why? Because they've had to have a serious vote based upon all the United Methodists coming in together about whether or not they're going to allow preachers to be of the uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender uh, order. They had to have a vote based upon LGBT. And they voted conservatively and they said, no, we don't want these people. We don't want this, uh, this lifestyle in our pulpits. And you know what it's done? It's created a rift right down the middle of the United Methodist Church because there are some who want to look at it and say, well, there's nothing wrong with people having, uh, having homosexuals uh, uh, be preachers and teachers and, and serve in the church in the United Methodist. And there are others who are maybe more conservative in their mindset want to look at it and say, well, no, 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 we don't want that kind of sinful lifestyle being represented of us. Brothers and sisters, who gave them the right that they could vote on that to begin with? Who gave them the right to say, well, you know what? It may be okay. Let's go ahead and let's think about it. Let's take man's popular opinion. God never gave that right to the church to begin with. You know why? Because the authority of Jesus doesn't allow it. This is nothing against the Methodists. Please understand, I love them to death, and I hope it is that they'll learn the truth and realize that renouncing denominational man-made religion and turning away from that and just coming to say, what does the Bible say? That's what I want to practice. That's our call. That's our plea. That's what we want for everybody. 
It breaks God's heart that there's the religious division of our day because people don't understand that Christ established one church and for me to take my own will and my own wants and my own imposition and try and say, you know what I think would be good for the church? It breaks God's heart and it ought to break our hearts as well. Here's the third point. One can know if he's a part of Christ's church. One can know if he's a part of Christ's church. Here's a question. Are you a part of Christ's church? Did I join the church or was I added to the church? You know, a lot of religious teachers today will say, here's what you need to do. Accept Jesus into your heart and then go out and join the denomination of your choice. Go join the church of your choice. Whatever fits you, whatever way that you want to worship, whatever way that you feel comfortable. Again, brothers and sisters, God never gave that choice to man. When it is that somebody comes to obey the gospel, somebody is baptized, as the Bible says, into Christ, and they come up out of that water. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that that person has added to Christ's church. It's not something that the memberships come and say, all right, who votes this guy in? Who says yay to this person? That's not our choice. Did we join the church or were we added to the church the way the Bible says? Is the whole counsel of God's word taught and emphasized? There's some places that you can go where it is that they're never going to touch on particular topics. They're no, never going to mention things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage like Jesus deals with extensively in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. They're not going to mention things like uh, women standing in the pulpit, such as Paul deals with in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2. They're not going to touch things like that because it's against what it is that they put into practice. They're not going to talk about the way that it talks about in the Bible to become a Christian, to be saved, because it's anti what they put into practice. It's against their denomination. But Paul says, as he mentions to those elders in Miletus, the elders of Ephesus, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know what the whole counsel of God is going to do? It's going to put division in the fact that there's a difference between the way Christ wants his church to be organized and the way that he wants his church to work and function and the way that the rest of the world is going to teach about that. It's going to be exclusive because that's the way Christ established it, but it's exclusive to those who will lay down their wills and wants and opinions and take up the will of God and say, you know what, I just want to do what the Bible says. I just want to do what Scripture tells me to do. It doesn't have a Bible name. All those groups that I mentioned at the very first, again, nothing against those groups, nothing uh, personal to attack those groups about. But here's the question I've got to ask, are any one of those or all of those words that I can read within the pages of Scripture? Where can I go in the Bible to talk about Paul being a Baptist? Where can I go in the Bible to talk about uh, the Methodist church? Where can I go in the Bible to talk about the cowboy church? How can I uh, justify that based upon the authority of Jesus from the Bible? If I can't, if I can't, then we've got a problem. You know what the Bible refers to the church that Christ established as the way, the house of God, the church of the living God, or as in Romans chapter 16, verse 16, the church of Christ. That's not a denominational title. It's a marker of belonging, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, his bride, his body, his kingdom. All of those things are synonymous and all those things are appropriate names. We don't have the right, we don't have the authority to name the church after any man or pattern of worship or day or event because Christ named it. 
Christ named it. And what if I had a man that came along and, you know, was referring to my wife and said, you know, um, come on, sugar baby, come on, let's go down here to the, to the Golden Corral and eat. I've got a problem with that. Why? Because she's my wife. She belongs to me. And I'm her husband. There's no other man that has the right to call things about my wife in ways that I haven't called her. Does the church worship according to God's pattern? I already referenced a couple of times, John 4, verse 24. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's an imperative. They must worship him. How? With the right attitude, with the right actions. What actions does God want in his worship? According to New Testament pattern, as we go through it, we see that on the first day of the week, the disciples gave, Acts 16, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 through 4. On the first day of the week, we understand that they gathered together to break bread. They did this on Sunday, Acts 20, verse 7. Bible tells us that as the church came together on the first day of the week, they partook of the Lord's Supper to commemorate the death and the burial of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The church came together, and as they came together, they sang songs, a cappella. They sang songs to God, songs of praise. And what Alan mentioned just a moment ago is absolutely right. And the fact that in the simplicity of the Lord's Supper, it doesn't matter how many, well, how many impoverished nations as we would characterize them, third world, they can still gather together and use the common elements of bread and grape juice in order to observe the Lord's Supper. You ever thought about that with regard to singing? How it is that God wants us to sing with our voices and pluck the strings of our heart. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. And as we do that, that's something that every Christian can do. And every Christian is commanded to do. We don't have any authority for choirs. We don't have any authority for an orchestra or, or a band to, to take place and to praise God for us. God wants it from me. God wants it from you individually. As we understand the New Testament pattern of worship, we understand that there's the proclamation of God's word. What's going to please God is for Paul telling Timothy to preach the word, the instant in season, out of season. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, those five sacred acts of worship are the five sacred acts that we have authority to do. Why? Because it's what God likes. It's not a matter of me going into the worship service and saying, you know what, I feel like we need to have this and this and this. You know what would really draw men in is this and this and this. It's me going back and saying, what's going to honor and please God most? Looking and seeing what he's commanded for us to do. That's undenominational Christianity. Is it organized according to God's blueprint? Is it organized according to God's blueprint? I go to a passage like... Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And it tells me that Paul writes this, uh, this letter to the, uh, to the Philippian church. And he talks about the bishops and the deacons. Well, I've got to ask myself, what are bishops? What are deacons? We've spent the last month or so talking about bishops from Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. What are deacons? We'll talk more about that in the future. But what is it that they, the, how is it God wants it to, to be organized? Does he want a single pastor system? Does he want a board of regents to, to govern the church? He wants elders. He wants deacons. How is the church that I'm a part of organized? Is that what pleases God? Have I ever even asked that question? Brothers and sisters, when we lose and if we uh, don't respect the distinctiveness of the church, we're not going to properly respect People that say it's okay to do things another way. 
You know, you Church of Christ folks, y'all practice things the way you want to, and we'll practice things the way we want to, and we'll all meet together in heaven later, and we'll just have a big laugh about our religious differences here on the earth. Brothers and sisters, if we don't submit our lives and our worship and our practice as the Graver Road Church of Christ to what God has said in Scripture, then we are not honoring the God that we propose to be serving. We are not honoring him and following him and his word. And what we have done is imposed our own will and our own wants and our own wishes on it. And we have created a denomination. But what we're interested in doing is practicing undenominational Christianity. I want you to know something. You often receive a question, I imagine like I do, out in the world. And somebody says, you're a Christian. You say, yes. And they say, what denomination are you part of? Now, here's the, here's the difficulty, because in order to try and explain the church not being a denomination, you kind of have to go into a long tirade, and you almost have to go off and say, well, listen, Christ didn't establish a denomination, Christ didn't uh, intend for all of this religious error or division, and so I'm just simply part of, here's the answer, I am a part of the church that Christ established in the Bible. I'm a part of the church that Christ established in the Bible. What you're doing is talking about the fact that Christ intended only one church. And I don't want to divide that church, and I don't want you to think of this as the Church of Christ denomination, because it's not. Because it's not. And if I try and do that, and I just simply answer the question that somebody asked me and says, what denomination are you part of? Well, I'm part of the Church of Christ. What I've done in my own mind is I've solidified that in my own mind to say it's okay to talk about the church in those terms. Brothers and sisters, the church is far too precious to talk about it in those terms. The church is far too important to just categorize it to say, well, it's a division or subset of uh, uh, Alexander Campbell or, or Martin W. Stone or any one of the restorationists. It is established by Jesus Christ. I just want to be a part of the church that Jesus Christ established in the Bible. I don't want to be a Church of Christ Christian. I just want to be a Christian. I just want to do what God said. And so it is. Two practical questions, and then I'll let you go. For asking the question or visiting with religious neighbors about the religious division. As you talk to your friend, you say, you know, uh, what church do you go to? And you want to open up a conversation at that. One friend just asked the question, what, what church do you go to? Well, I go to such and such church. Do you like it? What are you doing? You're putting it in their mind to say, well, yeah, I like this, but I don't like this so much. I like this, but I don't like this so much. What would you change if you could? What do you think God wants? And just asking those three or four simple questions, you have the opportunity to open up a discussion about what it is that God wants and the authority that we have to do and to practice and to make the church what Christ wants it. What is our common denominator? What would we need to agree? Brothers and sisters, the authority of Christ and his word has to be it. And as we make this appeal, as we make this plea for undenominational Christianity, stop thinking about the same thing with regard to this congregation and a congregation of uh, uh, whatever denomination or down the road. We've got to be unique and we've got to be distinctive in our message, in our worship, in our practice, in our loyalty and allegiance to Christ and him only. Thank you so much for listening. So, well, if you would take your songbook and open it up to the song that Troy just announced. Maybe it is here this morning we have with us 
Somebody who's ready to obey the gospel. Somebody who's going to renounce man's creeds and wills and wants and wishes and just say, you know what, I just want to be a Christian, a Christian only. Well, you came to the right place because we're only going to preach the Bible and the Bible only. It's not about what the man standing here this morning is going to think or what he wants or what he thinks about any given thing. It's the fact that we're going to appeal back to Jesus Christ. You know what he said? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Maybe it is that you want to study more, study further. We would love to do that and just sit down with the Bible open and to talk about what it is that God wants you to do and what he wants you to be. Whatever it is that your need is this morning, maybe you need to praise the church and encouragement. We'd love to offer that for you as well. We're going to announce an invitation here in just a moment, and we're going to stand and sing the song. You can either come down front or you can just grab a member and say, listen, I just need to talk to somebody. And that's all right. Whatever you need, won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song?